Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. What we're doing this morning is we are picking up on our Scream series that we're going to be doing the rest of the month. And what we're going to be camping out on this morning is we're going to be looking at the life of Jonah. He was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. So get your Bibles out, get your pens out, get your notebook paper out, and we are going to get down in the word of the Lord this morning. Go ahead and look to the person to the next of you that are wa- that's watching this live stream service and say, we're going to get down in the word this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to read all 17 verses in Jonah. This is Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Look to the person to the next of you and say, he went down. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it. Now look at him and say, he went down again. He went down into it. Go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you're asleep? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you from? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us this innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights." 
So I love talking about this story, but before we really get into the meat of the word, I, I feel like what we have to do is we have to kind of build the backdrop of the historical narrative that's going on during this time. See, when I was in Sunday school, we had these green velvet boards. Remember those green velvet boards, right? And what the teacher would do is she would put these stick-on pictures and then she would tell the Sunday school, or he would tell the Sunday school story to the kids in the room. And honestly, it was like Jonah always got this bad rap, right? I mean, he was this prodigal prophet that just wanted to do what he wanted to do. And the Lord told him, hey, I want you to go east. He went west. The Lord said, I want you to go by land. He went by sea. He did the exact opposite that God told him to do. But I think Jonah gets this really bad rap because we don't really understand what's happening during this time. You see, under the reign of Jehu, the Israelites were paying tribute to a nation called the Assyrians, right? And where uh, the Assyrian empire was, it was in modern day Iraq. And see, the people that God asked Jonah to go and witness to and minister to were the most barbaric, bloodthirsty men of this time. I mean, if you read the historical accounts of how ridiculous this people group was, they would literally, when they would go into a village or a town and they would take over, they would cut off one arm, both legs, and as the person would fall to the ground, they would grab the only appendage left, the other arm, and shake his hand while they were dying. Also, what they would do is they would decapitate all of the heads of the men in the town and they would build pyramids. So everyone that walked by these pyramids of decapitated heads would begin to fear them because they were the most bloodthirsty men. So I, I think when we understand exactly who God was asking Jonah to go witness to, I think we can get a little bit more sympathy and understanding of why he didn't go. But what we have to understand, and I love this because even though this was a text that was written over 2,000 years ago that was taking place in the 8th century BC, this is exactly where we're at as a nation. Look to the person to the next of you and say, for the grace of God is for every race. His grace is for every race. You see, Jonah was actually the first minor prophet that was not just declaring prophetic utterances to the nations around him, but God is like, I don't want you just to pro declare prophetic utterances in your writings, but I want you to go to them. This was a type of God's mission to save the Gentiles. God was always the same God in the Old Testament as he was in the New Testament. And it just, it's a matter of fact that Jonah was actually the first prophet that God said, hey, look, I, I want you to stop prophesying in Israel. I want you to stop prophesying about Egypt and Moab and the Babylonians, but I want you to go right into the heart of Nineveh and I want you to preach the gospel. And honestly, where we're at right now is Jonah says, no, I'm not going to go do that. So this is what we have to understand. You see, Nineveh was only about 500 miles away from the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel was split up into two, into two sections. The the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 10 tribes. That's where Jonah was from, right? So uh, Nineveh was only 500 miles away, but Tarshish was 2,500 miles away. What does that mean? That means that when we rebel 
it's always going to take more energy to disobey God. See, I'm surrounded by people that I minister to that are absolute geniuses in getting what they want. Like, I tell them all the time when I'm counseling them, I'm like, listen, dude, if, if you would put half the energy in applying the word of God than getting your fix, your life would look so much better, right? See, what we do is we spend so much energy trying to do what we want to do to try to gratify our own selfish nature. And the moment that we could just say, yes, God, that, that moment is hard to say, yes, God, I'm going to apply your word. But the more we rebel, the harder our life gets, the more we disobey, the more energy it takes. And you know what God does? He sends a roadblock. And then we go past that roadblock. He sends another roadblock. And we go past that roadblock. And he sends another roadblock. And we go past that roadblock. And then what has to happen is he has to send a fish by the name of grace to so get Jonah's attention that Jonah is forced to do the will of God. You see, I've heard this all the time in ministry. If you don't do the will of God, God will just find someone else to do what you're supposed to do. Not according to this text. God did not look for anyone else besides Jonah. What does that mean for us? Write this down. If you have an assignment, God will not leave you alone. If you have an assignment, God will not leave you alone. This is the thing. I know people say, hey, there's a lot of people that will pick up the mantle of what you've dropped in your disobedience. And that might be the exception. But according to this text, according to this minor prophet story, God is going to have his way. And the thing is, I know people sometimes when I say this, they're like, how can you say that God is like that? I like to call God a stalker. I like to call God a stalker. Because if you read Song of Solomon chapter 2, he literally is the bridegroom that's staring through the lattice at the bride. He is always there. He is always following us. He is always going to have his way in us. It doesn't matter how far we run. It doesn't matter how many egregious sins that we commit. God is right there. There's a poet by the name of Thompson. He calls Yahweh the hound of heaven. What does that mean? That means that God is always on our trail. He is always smelling and wants to have fellowship and relationship with us. God is never going to leave you alone. So the best thing that we can do is just submit to the will of God. I... Over the past couple weeks, um, we've been looking at Luke 15, and I'm not going to go through it again. I'm not going to uh, 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 bore you again with the same messages. But what's interesting, in Luke chapter 15, you have two sons. You have a prodigal son, and you have an elder son. And we all know, we all know what happens to the prodigal son. He rebels from the father, and he goes, and he squanders everything away with his own riotous living. And then the elder son comes and he literally judges the lack of righteousness, right? In the younger son because of what he did with the inheritance. And what's interesting about the story of Jonah is if you take this story 
and you overlay it over Luke 15, Jonah's life mirrors both sons. In the first two chapters, Jonah is the prodigal son. And then in chapter 3 and 4, we'll get to that next week, Jonah actually transitions into the elder brother. So you see the lack of righteousness in the first two chapters, and then you see the self-righteousness in the prophet in the next two chapters. And what I find it fascinating is this is where we all live at. It's like if we're not obeying the word of the Lord, we're in prodigal living. And if we are, what happens is there's this seed of entitlement or self-righteousness that begins to rise up and we become the elder brother. So Jonah in the first two chapters was the prodigal son. So write this down too. There is always a boat headed in the wrong direction. And this is what we have to understand. There is always a seat with your name on it. The moment that Jonah ran away from God, there was a boat that was sailing in the opposite direction. Always. It's funny. It's like, it's like right when we decide, right? Let's say we decide to quit smoking cigarettes. We walk into the convenience store and then packs are half price, right? There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. The moment we start to diet from quarantine, we walk into church, right? And the youth group is having a donut sale, right? There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. The moment we want to get free from any type of sexual temptation, we walk by the TV and there might be a scene that's playing, right? That is trying to pull us in trying to get us to detour from the commitment and covenant we made with Yahweh, right? There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. See, what happened was, Jonah was this very nationalistic prophet. We can actually read about Jonah in 2 Kings, right? He was actually serving under uh, King Jeroboam II, and he was all about Israel's military conquest. He was all about expanding Israel's empire. And when God asked him to go and preach to this bloodthirsty nation, this sense of nationalism rose up and literally this sense of racism rose up. I'm going to say it. Jonah struggled with racism, right? And what we have to understand, New Hope Church of God Church of Jesus Christ is if our nationalism gets in the way of the Great Commission, then we're racist. I'm going to say it again. If our sense of nationalism gets in the way of the Great Commission, right, we're racist. And, and, and again, in Jonah's defense, it's not like God said, hey, go, go minister to your neighbor, right? Many of us, we can't even minister to our neighbor, right, because we have too much fear and timidity, Right? But God's like, no, I want you to go to the nation. I want you to go to your enemy. And I want you to preach the gospel to your enemy. See, this is hard for us to deal with because we think that God loved Jonah so much. That's why he sent the whale. And that's absolutely true. But you want to know who God also loved? He loved Jonah's enemy. God sent the whale not just to get Jonah's attention, but because he wanted to save Jonah's enemy. And see, what we have to do as the church of Jesus Christ, we have to understand the people that we might not understand 
or the people that we're in judgment of because of our own self-righteousness. God wants us to go to those people and he wants us to redeem those people. Because the grace of God is for every race. It's not, it's not just for people that look like me. It's not just for people that's grown up in my same neighborhood. The grace and the power of Jesus Christ is for the whole world. For God so loved the world, the whole world. And we see the great commission right here in chapter 1. God's heartbeat and his intentionality for all of the world. Point number I don't know if I'm at three or four, whatever, all right, whatever. Just throw the notes away, right, whatever, all right. So Jonah's on the boat. He's headed in the wrong direction, right? What does the text say? The text says in chapter one that he was sleeping in the bow of the ship. He was sleeping. And see, I find it interesting because the story of Jonah kind of parallels a greater Jonah that we see in the Gospels by the name of Jesus, right? And Jesus woke up and he, he calmed the storm, but Jonah is actually sleeping in the storm and it took a pagan captain to come and wake him up, right? And he says, you need to pray to your God because this storm is coming upon us. We're praying to our God. So, so essentially what they were saying is we need to appease every single God that every single person on this ship worships and maybe one God will hear us, right? And he'll calm the storm. Jonah's sleeping. He wakes him up. And what I find it fascinating is he was sleeping in the middle of a storm. What does that mean? Running away from God makes us numb to the world around us. Running away from God makes us numb to the world around us. What does that mean? That means literally if we get so in our own selves, we get so entitled, we get so fascinated on our own flesh, literally, we stop caring for the hurting people around us, right? We become so used to our comfortable life, we become apathetic, and we become complacent, right? And then we understand that there is so much calamity, and we understand that there's so much tragedy around us, and we see it on the news, we hear messages preached like this one right here, but something in us, if it does not come alive, we become numb to the world around us. Maybe if things that are happening around you are not bothering you, maybe you are on a boat headed in the wrong direction. And see, I fear for every one of us, including me, because I think that the church of Jesus Christ right now needs to be in times of intercession. We need to be in times of weeping because of what's happening around us. And listen, I, 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 I know that we're like, well, wait, we can't trust the media. I, listen, I agree. I believe that the media is the greatest false prophet in the earth today. I do. I do. I see that, right? But... All we have to do is talk to our neighbors. All we have to do is talk to our friends. All we have to do is go on actual legitimate news outlets that we don't see on TV. And we see all these things. And if there's something in you that doesn't break, you're sleeping in the middle of a storm right now. You're numb. You need to, you need to come alive. And see, this is the thing. Bob Jones prophet that went home with the world to the to the lord says that tears 
cleanse witchcraft out of our eyes. Tears cleanse witchcraft out of our eyes. When we get in deep times of intercession with the Father, what happens is we start seeing our enemy the way that Yahweh sees our enemy, and we have no other choice but go to them and share the gospel. Love always confronts. Love always goes to the person that we have problems with, right? You can't be a Jonah, and you can't be sleeping in the storm around you. You see... There's different types of storms. I'll, I'll mention three types of storms this morning. There's the storm that we can't control. There's just the storm of living in a fallen world, right? You can blame Adam when you get to heaven, right? Romans chapter 5, by one man's sin entered into the world. It was not God's fault, right? When God, God actually announced the curse because of Adam's sin. There's a difference in scripture between describing and prescribing. God was actually describing the curse as a result of Adam's sin, right? There's there's storms that are going to hit our house and there's storms that are going to hit our family that literally we did not cause. God did not cause. I don't even know if the devil caused It's just we live in a fallen world, and that's why bad things happen to really good people. Bad things happen to Christians, and the only thing that we can do is hold our course. Don't bow down to fear. Keep moving towards Jesus and pray through that storm. And then there's the storm of Jonah. There is the storm that God actually sends in our direction. See, we don't like to talk about that. God wouldn't do that right? We love the fairy dust of God. We love the glitter of God. We love all. No, 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 no. God is still righteous judge. All right? And this is the thing. God's judgments are always aimed at anything in our life that interferes with us receiving his love and walking out his will. Do you hear me? His judgments are always aimed at anything in our life that interferes with us receiving his love and walking out his will. Listen, remember prodigal son, Luke 15? The famine in the prodigal's life is the same storm in the prodigal prophet's life, right? And you got the pig pen in Luke chapter 15, right? Got his attention, you got the whale. In the, in the book of Jonah, God has attention, right? So you can parallel the famine in the storm, the pig pen in the whale, right? God sent both of those. God sent the famine. God sent the storm. Why does God do that? To get our attention. Remember what I talked earlier? Roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. What does a roadblock look like? Somebody comes to you and says, I was praying for you and I just have this impression that you're dealing with it. No, I'm not dealing with that. No, 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 no. I, I don't. That's a roadblock. Somebody has a dream about you, and the dream might not be good, right? And then somebody delivers that dream to you, right? No, no, no I don't. And we, then we put a false interpretation on it to make ourselves feel, feel better about our dysfunction. Those are roadblocks. And then literally, we go over roadblock, over roadblock, over roadblocks, which are all the fingerprints of God's grace to try to get our, get our attention, and then famine, whale, 
something so powerful comes in our life and we're forced to reckon with where we're at in life. We're forced to look up. Remember, Jonah went down, 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 till he was literally down underneath the ocean. We'll read about that in chapter two next week. And he talks about how the whale is actually the prison of God. He says, these bars have encompassed me. God does have a prison. And he does send his sons and daughters there for a moment to get our attention. All right? And there's the storm that God causes. And I want to go over this point too. So we got the storm we can't control. It's a consequence of the curse. And then we have the storm that God sends in our life to get our attention because of our disobedience. But I just feel like this is going to speak to some of you guys in here. I don't know why I'm smiling. I think I'm smiling because I've dealt with this so many times in my life. But listen to this, ready? But sometimes the storms around us are caused by having the wrong people in our boat. Oh, Lord. I'm gonna say it again. But sometimes the storms around us are caused by having the wrong people in our boat. Uh-oh. See, poor pagan sailors. You got a prodigal prophet Gets on a boat. Instead of going 500 miles right to the east, he goes 2,500 miles to the west. He just so happened to get on a boat with a bunch of pagan sailors. And, and, and really what's funny is the pagan sailors are actually more holy or acting more holy than Jonah. Do you see their response to the storm? And I always look at this and I'm like, man, I'm just going to say it. It would have just sucked to have been one of those sailors on that boat to know that the storm that you're going through is a result of this person that you allowed on the boat. Do you see it? See, we have to understand that a lot of the things that we're dealing with, a lot of the situations and a lot of the drama that we're dealing with, right? It's not imposed on us by God, but it's imposed by who we're allowing in our inner circle. Huh? It's imposed by who we are allowing in our inner circle. Listen, you have to take an inventory of your life and you have to say, I've had drama for 63 days and it started when I met, when I met that person right there, right? And listen, there's, there's times, you have to understand that some, some people are supposed to be seasonal in your life. If, if, <laughs> If you die with that many friends, five friends, you're doing really well, right? You have friends that God has called you to walk with you through life, through the thick and through the thin. And then there's literally people that come into your life that are not sent by God, that are literally going to exhaust life from you. And you have to look, say, am, am I giving more than I'm receiving? Is my life full of drama? Is my life full of like late nights, phone calls, text, things that I really, it's like I wake up. Why am I constantly dealing with this issue from this one person? Listen, because sometimes the storms around us are caused by having the wrong people in our boat. You see, when we look at Jonah, this was not just a historical narrative that took place, you know, 20, 
700 years ago. This is not just a book that is for Sunday school. This is a book. This is four chapters in the Word of God that should get our attention. We should look at it and we should say, oh my goodness. And you should be able to diagnose exactly if you're in a storm, exactly what is causing the storm. If you're in a storm, what exactly is causing the storm? And see, it takes wisdom to be able to differentiate between why the storm is coming into your household, right? And see, we have to look at our heart when we read this is because sometimes it's situations like these that our nation is going through that I really believe that God's fingerprints are all over it. No, I'm not saying, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God sent the coronavirus, okay? And I'm not saying that God is the author of the racial division in our country. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it this morning. I'm going to talk about it, right? But I am saying that situations, national situations, right, a lot of times reveal what's in the church of Jesus Christ. There's, there's a crushing that is happening to the church. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. It's in first, what is it, First Corinthians chapter 5? It says, no, I'm sorry, it's First Peter chapter 4, for judgment must begin at the household of God, right? And it says, and if the righteous are scarcely saved from what? From judgment, right? Literally, God squeezes the church right, to see what's in us. And he's like, look, if you ever, ever want to be a voice of redemption and you ever want to be a voice of revival and you ever want to be my hands and my feet to the Ninevites around you, then you got to get this stuff out of your life. We got to get the racism out of our life. We got to get the disobedience out of our life. We need to establish where the storms are coming from, if they're self-inflicted, if they're God-sent, if they're having the wrong people in our boat. Listen, all of this has God's fingerprints on it because he wants the church of Jesus Christ to be purified. He wants New Hope Church to be purified. He wants our homes to be purified. So literally take an inventory of what's happening in your life. Take an inventory of 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 the song of your heart, the rhythm of your thoughts, what is happening within you when you see the injustice around you. Remember, in Luke chapter 15, remember the second two chapters of Jonah that we're going to get to. Self-righteousness is revealed in us when we observe the lack of righteousness in those around us. We see it. What happens? What's, listen, what's worse the people that are committing the sex trafficking, the people that are burning down cities, right? The people that are murdering kids in the street or the self-righteousness of a pharisaical church that stands in judgment of that. What's worse? In God's eyes, listen, in God's eyes, we're both equally in need of repentance we're both equally in need of redemption and we're both equally in need of a savior. And that is exactly why Jonah 
went. That is exactly why God said, I want you to go to the Ninevites and I want you to preach of who I am so that they can repent and they can have a relationship with me because I'm not just the God of Israel, but I am also the God of the Ninevites. I am not just the God of the good, but yes, I am the God of the bad. I'm not just the God of one race, but my grace is for every race. I am the God that came to abolish the middle wall of partition, Ephesians chapter two. And I came to bring righteousness and unity to the world. I'm gonna go to one more scripture and we're gonna wrap it up. Matthew chapter five, this is very interesting. Matthew chapter five, this is actually the sermon on the mount. And in verse 13, he is talking to his disciples and he's also talking to us. He's talking to the church of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13 says, for you are the salt of the earth. Look to the person to the next, you say, you are salt. (laughs) You are salt. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are a city set on a hill prophetically in this, in this, in our city right now. We are a little city, New Hope, in this big city, Sevier County, right? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm gonna end right here. This week, I was poking around in this text and something came alive in me and I, I don't know why I never saw this. You might, have, you might have seen this for 20 years if you're a student of scripture, but I saw this for the first time and it just, it did something in me. It, it, it awoke something in me. I, I literally came alive because I started to see that culture around us is always gonna be a reflection of the church. Just hear me out. If it's dark out there and it's light in here, it means that our light is in the wrong place. Watch, watch, look what he says. Nor do people light a lamp, verse 15, and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I wanna propose to you that sometimes this building the structure of the local church can actually be the covering of the light. And see, if we as light bearers actually leave the structure, we leave the building, we go out into the darkness, right? We actually bring light to those around us. See, Nineveh was void of the light until Jonah got there. There are places in America, there's places in our state, there's places all around the world. If it's void of the light, it's because our light is in the wrong place. We can't just be carriers of the light in here. We have to be carriers of the light out there. So do you see it? Sometimes the building, the structure, the house of Jesus Christ, the, the physical temple that we come can actually be the covering of the light if the light doesn't bring it out into the city. And you know what it says? Look what it says. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, it doesn't say that we're saved by works, but we're saved for works. Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. We bring the light of Jesus Christ out there, and then people see our works. They see who we are as followers of Jesus, and then they're like, there's something about you that's so magnetic. There's something about you that's so different. I want to know your God. And that's what happened to Nineveh. But listen, Jonah had to get out of the boat. He had to quit going in the wrong direction. He had to deal with the storms and say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to bring my light to the right place, to the darkest place in the world during that time. Because I understand if I go, it's not dark anymore. Well, brother, Bourbon Street is so dark. Turn your light on. The, the hood of Knox County is so dark. Go there and turn the light on. You are the light. Culture is always going to be a reflection of the church. And if it's dark, our light is in the wrong place. So look to the person next to you and say, turn on your light. Look to the person next to you and say, get your light in the right place. Don't be a Jonah. But be one that carries the truth. I find it fascinating that Jonah's name actually means dove. And it's funny that somebody that can be such a carrier of Holy Ghost revival can also become so easily offended by disobedience and fly away in the opposite direction. And I believe that's kind of an indictment on the church sometimes, on us you know, is we're such carriers of the Holy Ghost. We can bring revival to those around us. But when things get tough or God asks us to do something we don't want to do, we go in the wrong direction. And listen, don't think geographical. Don't think actual like the physicality of the scripture of Jonah running 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. But delayed obedience is disobedience. You can be running from God, sitting in the pews of the church. All right? You can be running from God, sitting on your sofa, on your lazy boy. If God asks you to do something, you have to be obedient to that because he loves you and he has a plan that's greater than you. Remember, it's not just about Jonah. It's not just about you. It's about the Ninevites. It's about your enemy. It's about the world around you. We must be carriers of the light we must get out of this physical structure and we must literally bring the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the darkness around us. We need to keep running. We need to, I'm sorry, we need to quit running in the wrong direction and we need to be running in the right direction because there are people that need you and there's people that need this church. New Hope is such a beacon of light in our city and I love what we're doing. We are providing meals to those that are poor in the school systems. We are in the schools. Listen, we're in the hospitals. We're ministering to the healthcare workers. But I think right here, it's just God is raising the bar. And he's saying, I have called you for so much more. And I need you to hear and obey. Because you guys, beloved, sometimes 
God says things that are hard to hear. Not every time God speaks, it's going to give you goosebumps and be like, oh, yes, I feel good. No, sometimes God's going to say, oh, I don't want it. No! Sometimes God's going to say things we don't want to hear. But when he does, we need to receive it. And we need to understand that there's a great commission that is waiting for us to be fulfilled. And there's people around us that need you and the Holy Ghost within you because you have the message of truth. Jonah's father, his name, Amittai, his name was Truth. We're sons of truth. We're sons of truth. And we must take what we receive in here, out there, and I promise you, we can transform the world around us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.